Hello, everybody, and welcome to the fifth episode of Charlie and Jake's Hot Takes. We've got a lot to discuss today, but we're going to start off talking a little bit of The Last Dance. We obviously passed episodes five and six, but Jake, I think me and you are a little hung up on the uh, occurrences of episodes three and four, so uh, do you want to get a little bit into what we're talking about? Well, I loved it. I found it so entertaining. It's been awesome. I didn't think two hours could go so fast. The whole story the whole story's interesting. I think we'll definitely be on this topic again. But tonight we're gonna talk about Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan and the beef of that. So is that petty? That's just interesting because a lot he's being criticized for holding a grudge for so long. But I don't know. I think Isaiah Thomas has the right to be angry about the dream team. I think that's a really special thing that he got left off of, clearly, no matter what Michael says because of the issues they had. Well, for me, it comes down to this. And, for, well, first, before I, uh, we talk, get deep, deep into it, I just want to give a little bit of context towards the beef and why it's there for the few of you who haven't watched The Last Dance. And if you haven't, you've got to get on it. Such a, such a great that. viewing experience. But, you know, the Pistons, they beat the MJ-led Bulls in 88, 89, and 90 in um, pretty in very physical series. You know, we in The Last Dance, they were talking about the uh, – the um, strategy that was used towards Michael Jordan, which was essentially foul him, make sure he doesn't get clean looks. It was the Jordan rules. Jordan rules, exactly. It was borderline dangerous, in my opinion. But um, it was 90, 80s, 90s basketball. And, I mean, we don't need to get into uh, the physicality differences. Yeah. They're pretty obvious. It was a different era. And um, the, uh, the Bulls ended up winning the next series in the uh, – was it 92, right? Yeah. So in 90, no, 91, 91. Oh, 91, 91. So in 91, after the three years consecutive losing, the Bulls swept them in a, in a convincing series. MJ went off. And at the end, the uh, Pistons, led by Bill Lambeer and um, Isaiah Thomas, decided that they were going to walk off the court uh, before the game was over. Obviously, now we see every NBA game usually ends with uh, handshakes and an exchange of pleasantries at, on the court, and this didn't happen. 2009, a little history lesson as we're getting into it. After Dwight Howard's Magic beat LeBron James's Cavaliers in the playoffs, okay. LeBron actually walked off without shaking anyone's hands and got destroyed for it. So it's definitely something that's severely frowned upon. And it, yeah, and also that Isaiah Thomas was saying one of the reasons they did it was because the Celtics yes. did it before and when the Pistons beat the Celtics for the first time in the playoffs. So it was almost like a handing over of the, of the Eastern Conference title belt, if you will. And I think that in that sense, it kind of makes sense. You know, they wanted to, they were done. Their era was kind of over. And I think they were kind of accepting that by walking off the court, but you made the decision. I mean, it's not like Isaiah was an 18 year old kid. Like he was, no, a, he, well, he was, and it was his call. And I think no matter what you say, Isaiah was the leader there. I think that, yeah, was, his that was his team. It was well-established that, um, that it was his team. He was a well-established star in the league and he made that decision. So for, for back to what we were asking was, is it petty for MJ and Isaiah to have this beef? I think it's hard for me to say. I think that MJ really needs to give up on it a little bit because he was still so, so angry about it. 
inter- not yeah. angry, but still very so annoyed. Michael, by like, the thing is, though, you talked about the Celtics, and I agree. We showed the Celtics kind of walked off, not with any time left on the clock, though. They walked off after, but mm-hmm. they didn't shake hands. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting, though, how the documentary actually showed Michael, though, shaking their hands. And so Michael was a good enough sportsman to shake their hand. So they should have mm-hmm. done the when he beat them, I mean. Yeah, when the Pistons yeah. beat Michael, he shook their hands. Yeah, that's what he was saying. They should, we shook their hands when we got beat by them three years in a row. They should have the dignity. This isn't word yeah. for word, but just paraphrasing. Yeah. They should have the dignity to shake our hands at the end of that, at the end of the first time that we beat them. And I understand that Michael is frustrated by that. And obviously, you know, it's something that I think would sting in the moment. But I think that at the end of the day, you beat them and you you force them into doing something that really hurt them in the long run and in the scope of history obviously it's something that's looked back on as pretty pretty bad so i think yeah. for mj is there even a reason to really to be mad like you kind well, of just force them to make a bad move and i thought in a weird way i might be a little bit proud of that that my dominant performance made these guys make a really bad decision well i think michael doesn't really have any reason to hold the grudge and i think he yeah. should get a but I think really what stems from this and the bigger picture of all this was the dream team. And Isaiah Thomas, who just belonged on that team, one of the top players of that time, only guy to beat Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and Michael Jordan all in their prime. And he deserved to be on the dream team. And I think whether we want to admit it or not, he was left off that team because of his not great decision. So I think, obviously, I think that's a special team. And I think he does have the right to still be angry about that. So, obviously, the Dream Team is such an important team in history. Everybody loves the Dream mm-hmm. Team. They were that first crazy American team that went over to the Olympics and yeah. just dominated. It was probably the best team, one of the best teams ever assembled of just yeah. basketball talent. And for Isaiah to be left off that is no doubt something that he probably still has issues with. And I, and I agree with him in that sense. But the thing was that I was – when I was doing a little more research into this, you know – Rod Thorne, who was the uh, who was one of the guys who was leading the dream team, he was one of the executives. Yeah, who, uh, doing like putting together the team, and you know he told uh, Wingo, uh, Trey Wingo, and Mike Golick on their uh, on their show that Jordan had no involvement in the construction of the dream team roster. Yeah. Again, that could be saving face. I don't know, but I think it was more this, and this is what the article kind of also talked about that I was reading, that it might not have been that Michael Jordan said don't have him on the team. But Rod Thorne and the rest of the USA executives who were putting the team together, they knew, okay, Michael Jordan doesn't like Isaiah Thomas. Larry Bird doesn't like Isaiah Scottie Thomas. Pippen doesn't like Isaiah Scottie Thomas. Pippen doesn't like Isaiah Thomas. And when you have that many guys who don't like one guy, then you probably don't want to put them on the team because it wasn't yeah. like they would be lacking of talent either yeah. way. Why put a guy on the team who might cause a, dis- yeah. uh, cause like a lack of chemistry? And in I, that I think that it makes sense. Yeah. I think that he probably, when you put it like that, he probably did talent-wise belonged on that team, but for the fit of the team, I guess they made the right call. Yeah. So when you have that much talent on a team, you know, yeah. you have to be – the one thing that could have really stopped them was like an internal internal, uh, internal fighting or something like that. Yeah. The so point of that was for those guys to go over there and have a good time. Yeah, exactly. And if you have guys who don't get along – then you might not be able to go over there and just have a good time and play some dominant basketball. Yeah. So I've got, a, I've got a crazy dream team fact for you before we move on. All right, before Did we move you on, know, Chuck Daly 
never called a timeout during Chuck Daly, the coach of the team, never called a timeout during the entire tournament. He never needed it. Never <laughs> needed it. team in basketball history, in my opinion. But uh, just before we move on, I just want to say, I think we can both understand why Isaiah is coming from. And it's honestly an unfortunate thing because he's a great yeah. player. And wow. I think most people will accept that he was one of the best point guards in league history. He really Definitely. doesn't get, uh, I think he gets left out of a lot of conversations unnecessarily, and that might this might have a reason to do with that, that he was left off the dream team. Yeah. So I think it's okay that he does feel a little bit feel a little bit uh, angry about right. his omission off the team. But he also was an adult when he made the decision. He led the way and did something that would create friction with the best player in the NBA, and the best player in the NBA will have power in some of those decisions. So yeah. while I do feel bad for Isaiah Thomas, I yeah. think it's time for both of those guys yeah. to let it go and enjoy yeah. being all I agree. And it was more than just that walking off the court. He did a lot of things in his run in their dynasty, those five years that pissed off a lot of guys. So he got mm-hmm. his rings doing that, but I guess you could say no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, yes, that's a good way to put it. So to stay on the NBA topic before we get into our NFL talk, the uh, New York Knicks find themselves in the news again as uh, it's reported that, or reported or theorized, if you will, that they could potentially make a run at CP3 in the offseason, although he's not, an, he's not a free agent. He's, uh, head, he's been uh, involved in trade talks for a while since being traded to Oklahoma City. So, um, you know, just to go through the basics of what Chris Paul is right now and his situation, he's on the Thunder, obviously. He's led them to a 40-24 and 24 record before the uh, coronavirus-induced suspension of the season. He's had an incredible year. He's averaging, I think, he's averaging 17.7 points a game, seven yeah. assists, five rebounds, really yeah. like almost Doing it all. CP3. And... Um, 34 years old will be 35 at the beginning of next season. And, uh, you know, it looks like that Leon Rose, who's the new executive, one of the new executives in town for the Knicks, could potentially have some interest in uh, acquiring him, especially because he is a former client of Rose during Rose's agent days. Well, I think it's interesting because he has this year and next year left on his deal, correct? Or two years left? He has two years left. No, not this year. Next year is 2020 to 2021, and then he has an option going into 2021, 2022. But he's not going to get the same money, so I doubt he'd drop it unless he's in a really bad situation. Well, I think you're getting two more years of him, essentially. So I think it's interesting with him, though, when we talk about the contract and what he wants to do. Because if he goes to the Knicks, I think he's going to get taken care of financially. I mean, he's a star. New York loves their stars. They're so desperate for a star. They paid Carmelo. I think they would pay this guy. And obviously not too much, more than he deserves at the old age. I don't know if he'd get a – definitely wouldn't get a max, but he'd definitely get a nice sum of money. So I think he would have to decide what he wants to do and where he wants to go. I don't think Oklahoma City would ship him off to the Knicks if he didn't want to go there. I think he did a lot for them this year. Mm -hmm. But if he wants to go there – I think I could see that happening and him wanting to get his paycheck and maybe he sparked something with the Knicks like he did with that lackluster Oklahoma city team. The Knicks have some talent they got Randall, they got Barrett. So who knows what could happen with that? Yeah. I mean, I think I look at it from this perspective. I mean, whenever I hear us and I feel like you often hear aging star and Knicks in the same <laughs> sentence, it's one of those things that's just an organizational trait of the Knicks. 
Uh, unfortunately, they've acquired a lot of guys towards the end of their careers. But I think this one's different, one, because it's not like you're signing Chris Paul to a new five-year contract. If you acquire him in the offseason, at most it's two years that you're paying him. And while it's $85 million over two years, which is a ton of money, it's, it's only two years. And I think it's not necessarily the dollar value that will scare teams. It's the length of time that you're paying them so much because it's not like these teams, especially the Knicks, who still managed to make some of the highest revenues in the league despite being bottom dwellers. They're not cash strapped or anything like that. But they would ex- I think they would extend him. I think if he's there, he's going to get an extension after next season when he's eligible. That's, that's an interesting point. And if, if the Knicks are planning on extending him, that would be something that – are you saying they'd extend him before he plays a game as a Nick or after? No, I think if they traded him this offseason, he comes out, he has a good year for them, similar to what he had this year. I think the Knicks would extend him and kind of not pay attention to his age and kind of hurt them on the cap, give him a five-year, four-year deal worth, worth more than he is. And I think that would be a problem for them. Well, I just – I don't know. I mean, hopefully it's a new regime. And I don't think they – I think they would trade him with the intention of playing out his two years. I guess we're differing on this. Playing out his two years and then seeing what happens after that. Because you don't – I think that with the position that the Knicks are in, this would be a this would be a move that, one, hopefully catapults them into the Eastern 8th or 7th. Yeah, that's what they want. To get some buzz on the Knicks, which is important, I think, especially in a market like New York. When you have this mark, you have the guard and nothing's happening there. It's just so yeah. unfortunate. So just to even get like a playoff season or two where the height will be amazing, even for an eighth seed New York team, that would still be good for New Actually, York. I disagree with you on that one because I think – I know it would be great to get New York popping again and get them back in the playoffs, but in most cities, and especially in New York, you play to win. You play to win championships. And bringing Chris Paul as your centerpiece isn't a championship type of move so you got some young you have some young stars potentially I know RJ Barrett has shown some potential and I think you got to look and try and bring in a max free agent in 2021 when that big offseason maybe they could gun after Giannis who knows but you got to play to win a championship playing for the seven or eight seed especially in New York this isn't Phoenix they shouldn't be doing that well I mean see people always say don't make moves to make the playoffs make moves to win a championship they echo the sentiment that you're saying, but the thing is, what are the Knicks going to do right now that are going to put them in championship contention? You have to walk before you run. You have to crawl before you walk. And right now, the Knicks are not moving. So you need to do something, you know. But with a, 30, but with a 35-year-old? But think about what it does for the guys around CP3. You can get them with a guy like Barrett. I mean, R.J. Barrett can develop more as a passer with watching Chris Paul practice. He can watch – there are a lot of things that I think having a veteran – look at the guys on OKC this year. Dennis Schroeder is having an, a, a career year. Uh, Shai Gilgis-Alexander has taken leaps and bounds. And yeah, but that team has guys. picks. That team has such a bright future with all those picks. The Knicks need some young guys. And I don't even think they have guys like SGA or, or um, Dennis Schroeder. So that's the question that comes with them. So – that was a really good situation that Chris Paul's in, but the Knicks are not in that same situation. Like no, I don't think they'd have the ability to be as good as Oklahoma City is right now, and that's a fifth seed in the West. That's really impressive. Yeah. But I don't think it's – for me, I mean, for the Knicks front office, it might be where they like it. They like this situation because they think he'd get them back to playoff contention. But I think that the effect that having a guy like Chris Paul 
in that type of situation with a lot of young guys, he can his, you have a guy who's a bona fide superstar. He's obviously a Hall of Famer at the end of his career. And you have all that rub off on these young players. They learn the work ethic. They learn how to conduct their business. There's not a guy – I mean, they have veterans. They play too many veterans. Yeah. Running a starting five of guys who none of them were drafted by the Knicks, but we don't need to get into that yeah. right now. But having a guy who's done, it, who's done it, he's been on great teams. Obviously, he hasn't hit the championship yet, but he's been a, a top point guard in the league for such a long time. That yeah. I just think his benefit on these young guys would be so huge. And not only that, you know, right now – for example, a guy like R.J. Barrett, who's passing the ball to him? They need a they need a guy who can dish the ball a little bit. Yeah, and they need a guy who can dish. I agree with you, but they need a guy who can dish the ball to him to win a championship. They need a young guy. They need to build it up like the Pistons did, like the Bulls did. Bringing a 35-year-old on $40 million a year isn't the answer, isn't going to get you a championship. All he's going to do is hurt your salary cap. And I guess he brings a good presence, but that's not a ring. You need to get a ring. Okay, okay, that's fair. But I keep on going back to it. You can't just go rebuild championship. There's things in between. People have that. Exactly, but the thing isn't the things in between aren't a 35-year-old. I understand he's a 35-year-old, but it's a 35-year-old for two years who will help you get there. And the thing is, you're not de- – the prerequisites of this trade, if you're, if you're the Knicks front office, is you're not dealing uh, R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, or the 2021st. So those are basically your three most coveted assets right now. Yeah. R.J. Barrett, he's had a troubling rookie year, but he's still played good yeah. enough to suggest that he'll be a really good piece for them in the future. Mitchell Robinson is, has the potential to he's be great. a dominant center. If he can get his foul trouble in order, he's, yeah. he has more block shots than miss shots this season. And he shoots at a really – he shoots a great percentage, highest in NBA history. He can be – I think he can develop into like a prime DeAndre Jordan where he was just blocking shots on one end and throwing down alley-oops in the other end. So – and then and then the 2021st, obviously the Knicks have had a bad season. Hopefully yeah. they can get up there in the lottery and get a good yeah. pick. So those are your, but if you're tra- if you're telling me that you're getting all this and you only have to, I don't think it's going to take that much to get them from Oklahoma City because Oklahoma City isn't going to win a championship with CP3 either, and I think that they'd be happy to get rid of the uh, get rid of the contract even though Chris has done so many good things this year. So like uh, Ian Begley, who's the uh, Knicks reporter for ESPN. He thought that a possible trade would be something along the lines of Reggie Bullock and Kevin Knox. And well, I don't know. I, I think it would be more than that, though. I don't think OKC is willing to do that. And do you really want to give up, though, Kevin Knox and Reggie Bullock? Well, if they do it is another situation completely. I think they'd be more willing to trade him than you think just because it's a lot of money and they're one of those teams that isn't as, like, at, isn't at they aren't in they're a small market team they're yeah. not they're not new york they're oklahoma city yeah. they don't have as much money to spend so i think that would be something to get out of that cap it would be huge but i mean the thing about a guy like kevin knox is i think you're gonna have to give up some of these young players at some point and right now they're not playing kevin knox anyways you're not using him that he doesn't he hasn't been playing even when uh they went from david fisdale and uh the other guy mike miller he still wasn't playing Kevin Knox. Kevin, they, it seems like the organization has given up on Kevin Knox. And whether I agree with them giving up in, on them on him or I don't, I don't, for, to be clear, because I think that the Knicks always do this, that they 
give up on prospects way too early. But if the organization has given up on him, then why not trade him for somebody who you like? Well, I, th- I think – I don't think that's a real deal, though. I don't think Oklahoma City is willing to trade Kevin Knox and Reggie Bullock, you said, for Chris Paul. I just don't see that being realistic, no matter his contract, because I think there's going to be some draft picks in there. You're going to have to give some pieces of the team you're trying to build for a guy who's going to be gone in two years. Okay, well, obviously we differ in that. Yeah. But I think that if you can, if you can get him for something like that, maybe a couple of picks, I think you do it. If, if it's more than that, if it's too much, you don't do it. But I think it's one of those situations where if you can get a guy who's owed a lot of money because you have the money to spend and it really won't hamper you too much in the future as it's only a two-year deal, then I don't see – I really don't see a reason not to do it if it's reasonable. That's the big thing. I agree. It's reasonable. All right. I see what you're saying. We agree to disagree. All right. So uh, we'll agree to disagree on that as we go into our NFL talk. We're still talking a lot about the uh, draft and a trade that went on during the draft that uh, fell under the radar a bit was uh, Trent Williams from the Redskins to the 49ers. San Francisco sending a fifth this year and a 2021 third to Washington exchange for the disgruntled left tackle. I like it. I like it a lot. I think San Francisco is doing a lot of good things. I really liked what they did in the draft last week. They kind of traded off, traded away DeForest Buckner and got Javon Kinlow, I believe that's how it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. And they kind of got a guy who's very similar for a lot cheaper, Yeah, which was was really interesting. They're making a lot of good moves. They got another weapon, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona Mm -hmm. State. And I think this is another good thing. Get protection. You want to pound the ball. Trent Williams is the guy who's going to help you pound the ball with those running backs. Could give Jimmy G some time to throw to his weapons. I really like this move. I mean, for me, it's like the rich get richer, man. Like, you look at this from from the perspective of the 49ers, who are a Super Bowl-winning team, and you see a crack in the foundation as Joe Staley retires, but not six hours later is it announced that Trent Williams is going to take that position that was so well-guarded by Joe Staley for such a long time, who just on a side note, we wish him a happy retirement, always a staple of that 49ers team. And up until the end, he was a very effective left tackle. So now you come in, you have Trent Williams. It's not a slam dunk in that it's there's not it's not definitely a slam dunk. I like the trade, but I think from we have to look at it from the perspective of Williams has been injured on and off for a while, and he didn't play last year. So he's 31 years old, and just to give a little history on him, he uh, hasn't played more than 13 games since 2015. And um, last year, he was holding out for his contract. He was – I think they tagged him, right, Washington? Yeah. Washington gave him the tag. He had no interest in taking it. Yeah. But he, um, he ended up coming back around week eight to, like, to either go on the team or get traded and sign the tender. But he failed his physical because he, uh, he actually had a scalp surgery in the offseason because of uh, – he had a, a soft tissue cancer that was reeks away from reaching his brain. So he was – it was good that he didn't, uh, obviously, thank, thankfully he was able to get that taken care of. But that's why they think he failed the um, failed the physical. But he still didn't play last year. And um, also the Redskins did misdiagnose that lump on his head, which was another reason why he wasn't fond yeah. of the Redskins. Well, yeah, well, I think the whole thing was interesting. And we don't have to get into the his whole issues <laughs> with the Redskins training staff. But as good as he can be, he's a 
all pro guy when he's at 100%, but there's a lot of question marks around him. Yeah, that's what I more meant by that. Yeah. There's just issues. Yeah. There's things that he has and to get over. Is he going to be great in the locker room? I never love a guy who holds out for a year. You should, If you sign the contract, you put your name on it, you should play it out. That's like the conditions of it, similar to what guys have done. I think if you signed your name, you should play. Well, he so didn't I never sign. That. He never signed a tenth. Yeah, but that but that's part of you know you the you know the beast when you're getting drafted to the NFL. He knew that that's how it goes. So I just don't know a team who was so close, like the 49ers. Do they really want to bring in a guy who can mess that all up, similar to Isaiah Thomas on the Dream Team? Do you want to bring in a guy who can mess up the chemistry when you're so close to getting where you need to be? Well, I mean, the offensive line is so important to the Niners, not only to keep Jimmy G upright, but this team was, uh, I think it was second in the league in rush offense. They yeah, ran they want to pound 150 the yards a game. So when you lose Joe Staley, who kind of anchored the line, you needed somebody. So this was kind of a move where it was a little bit out of desperation. But luckily for them, the Redskins really had needed to trade Trent, Trent Williams for such a long time. I mean – he, was, he should have been traded before the season, honestly, as even if he played for the Redskins, he really wouldn't have moved the needle for a team that was yeah. worst in the league. So it really didn't make sense for him to try and, try and keep him around. And uh, they waited too long. They only they got the fifth and the third. I mean, I think at the beginning of the season, you would, they would have thought they would get something else when they eventually did try and move on from him. Yeah. But that's why I think that even with the risks, the 49ers come out, they have to be happy with this because, you know, you have a guy who has the ability to really move the needle on your team and make sure that you guys, that your uh, offensive line and run offense can stay at the uh, very high height that it was last year. So, yeah, I think that it's a very fine move. And I yeah. think it won't be huge. I don't think he's as good as he was in maybe his all-pro years, but I still yeah. think he's very confident on that. He could get the job done. If he just does what he needs to do, he could definitely get their team to where they need to be. And it was – I think that it's uh, very interesting, again, like you said, that it'll be interesting. We I always like to see how these guys who hold out, how they do after. Obviously, last year, Le'Veon Bell had a tough year after his year-long yeah. holdout, which might have not all been his fault. Yeah, I don't think that was really the, his uh, Jets offensive line. And then we saw Melvin Gordon come back from his holdout with, varying, with not great results, and he ended up signing a pretty small contract compared to what he was being offered by the Chargers. Mm-hmm. And right now, Trent Williams has a year and $12.5 million left on his deal. So we'll see. I think they're going to restructure that. They're, yeah, I think haven't talked the extension yet, but maybe they will. So I'm also very interested to see how that ends up happening. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, you know, the first day of the draft, obviously, that was great. But um, we talked at length about the uh, second tier of the quarterback class. Yeah. And, man, did this play out interestingly. I think there was so many interesting things by the uh, – I, a lot of them had me excited, confused, yeah. and that that second through fifth round, the four quarterbacks taken really have some um, really interesting situations. So uh, first off, we had Jalen Hurts going round two, pick fifty three to the Philadelphia Eagles. And Jake, let me know. Tell me about your uh, reaction to this. Uh, it, interesting. I think I like it from what I've heard from Philadelphia. I don't think he's coming in there to take Carson Wentz's job. I don't think there's any universe we're in where Jalen Hurts is a better NFL quarterback than Carson Wentz. But the two things I like about this is 
he hasn't stayed healthy, so you need a backup there. Yeah. A capable backup. And also, they said they like to use him similar to Taysom Hill, kind of the two-quarterback set. And we saw how well that worked for New Orleans this year. And I think Jalen Hurts is an athlete like that. So maybe that could be fun and see what they could do with that. But I don't know. The only thing I didn't like is where they picked him. And I know it all came out with he was their guy and they didn't want to lose him. Like they lost Russell Wilson in 2012 to Seattle. But I just don't know if you're a team trying to compete for a Super Bowl, similar to what Green Bay did, if picking a guy in the top 55 picks who's not going to come in and make an immediate impact is the right answer. Well, yeah, I think that at pick 53, it was a little bit high, in my opinion, for Jalen. But I, I, I agree with you that we've seen the injury history from him, you know, from Carson Wentz. He missed, obviously, the end of his what, probably, what could have been an MVP season in uh, 2017. What would have been it? What would have been an MVP Yeah, season. what would have been. He had a great season that year. Then 2018, he got hurt before the playoffs. And then 2019, he got injured in their playoff game. So – I think that it makes sense to have a capable backup. But here's my issue with the Taysom Hill role. The reason Taysom Hill works is that they've had another competent quarterback on the on the depth chart. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you could run Taysom Hill in a bunch of offensive sets because if he gets hurt and he can't play for a couple of games, you're not left with nobody at quarterback. You had Teddy Bridgewater. Now you'll have Jameis Winston. The, That's issue, the issue for the um, – for the Eagles is is that Jalen Hurts is clear cut the number two quarterback. Two guys they have on the roster, Kyle Lawletta, he was on the Giants a couple of years ago, if that name might ring a bell for anybody. Yeah. And then Nate Sudfeld, who's been around for a while. And the reason I know they don't trust Sudfeld or Lawletta is for Sudfeld at least, they brought in forty one year old Josh McCown to be the backup over Sudfeld last year. So if you're bringing in a forty one year old guy out of retirement to be the backup, it probably shows that you don't have a lot of trust in the other options. So that's why I think they will end up using Jalen Hurts as a decoy or as a runner, because when you have a talent like that and just not using him is a hard thing to do for any coach, especially if the offense needs a boost, yeah. which we saw last year, they needed a lot. But it could be a formula for disaster. Yeah. But I think that's such a doomsday approach, though, and I know you need to be prepared for the worst. But I think that to be planned that two of your quarterbacks get hurt, I think you're in trouble if you're any team, whether it's the Eagles, the Saints, or any other team yeah. in the league. So I know you're suscepting him to injury, putting him all over the field. He's not kind of protected like the quarterback is. But I think that you need to play your game. And I think it works well with New Orleans, how they do have guys like that. But I think that that's not the biggest issue with it. And hopefully one of them can stay healthy. And I hope both of them do. But I think it's also – when we say Taysom Hill role, I think that's kind of becoming like a generalized term. He's not going to play punt defense. No. I don't think he'll line up in the slot except for maybe like a couple of end rounds. I think they'll use him as a decoy in the offense. They'll run some wildcat with him. They'll well, they want to run wildcat bit. with him. I think that was the yeah. biggest thing they want. It's not going to be to the degree. He's not going to be running routes to get his head chopped off by line middle linebackers yeah. like Taysom is. It's going to be to a lesser degree, but for a team that – Last year really could use a lot of offensive boosts during games. Yeah. This is a very sufficient yeah. pick, I think. Uh -huh. Well, I don't think he will be. I agree with you. I don't think he will be used as much as Taysom Hill. And along the lines of they don't have another quarterback, so I think that he will be used as a wildcat, maybe put him in the backfield. But I don't think he's going to be playing so much receiver. He's not going to be a special teams guy. He's going to be a backup quarterback. 
maybe more of like what Tim Tebow did with the Jets when they had Mark Sanchez. Hopefully it works out a little bit better, though. Yeah, hopefully. So the uh, next pick, this one really shocked me. And, I mean, it's not the sexiest of picks, but we, we'd be remiss not to talk about it at all. And that's – um. oh, wait. I mean, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you, I was going towards the James Morgan, but little did I, uh, little did I know that Jacob Eason got picked three picks before, and that's my guy, Jake Eason. He yeah. went round four, pick one twenty two to the Colts, and I've sung his praise before, and this is this is great. I mean, I love it. I, I great, kinda, great fit. I don't want to. I kind of knew this was coming. I didn't know Jacob Eason, but I thought that the Colts would be picking one of these four guys. I thought they. We're maybe going to try and get Jordan Love because they need a quarterback. I mean, yeah. they're going to have two free agent quarterbacks after this year, Phillip Rivers and um, Jacoby Brissett. Both of their deals expire after this year. I think Jacob Eason is a guy who definitely could be an NFL quarterback. Bring him in and see what he could do. I love this pick. I love it for Jacob Eason. I love it for the Colts. I think it really is awesome. Yeah, and I think this was the situation that Jacob Eason needed to come in. I mean, you hear what, the, what a lot of people thought that he was kind of – just to put it plainly, they thought he was a little bit arrogant. That was kind of the read coming off. I mean, you Tom, saw him. It was time during the camera too. Yeah, he looked, he looked a little, a little bit pissed off that he yeah. was falling. I mean, I think that's understandable. But what more rubbed GMs and executives and coaches the wrong way was Todd McShay was saying how he really didn't understand the magnitude of the moment. That's a direct quote of the um of like those combine interviews. He was a little too relaxed for a guy who wasn't bonafide as a superstar yet and I think people kind of have that rep of him that he's not necessarily the hardest worker and that he's not willing to maybe get in front of it but this is a situation where Chris Ballard comes in the day after the draft and this was some great executive work I think from Chris Ballard the GM of the Colts he talks about Jacoby Brissett how much they love Jacoby Brissett he talks about the guy who was picked after um after Jacob Eason in the fifth round, uh, offensive lineman from Ball State, and then when he get when he gets asked about Eason, he says, uh, "Let's slow our roll a little bit in terms of tagging this guy as the next Messiah walking into town. He was a fourth round pick. We didn't move up to the first pick of the draft. Jacob's got talent. He's got to work and he's got to earn it. And I love that. If you if you know a guy has a couple of red flags in terms of attitude, come out and say it. You're going to work if you want to be an Indianapolis Colt. Yeah." Well, I think you said two things, though, and you kind of tried to loop them together, but they're different. I think if he was calm in those interviews, I don't have such a problem with that. I think well, it you wasn't want your quarterback. Calm. I know arrogance, bordering line on arrogance, but I think that that's not the worst thing in the world. But if he's being tagged as a guy who's not going to work hard, that's a big red flag for me. Even to pick a guy in the seventh round, if I don't think he's going to work hard, you're not going to be successful. So I think that we'll really get to see what he's like. And I think it's great that they get these two quarterbacks. He's not going to play this year. He's going to be the third-string quarterback this year. But if they kind of see he can play in preseason, maybe he'll get a couple opportunities in practice, then maybe he could be their guy in the future come next year and the year after that. Yeah, it's really it, – it doesn't get better than that situation. And I, I think that Eason reminds me a lot. Eason reminds me a lot of Phillip Rivers, you know? Yeah. Phillip Rivers has that little bit of a, a cocky side, if you will. Phil Rivers has that huge arm, and he does he does run into his fair share of uh, mistakes in terms of interceptions yeah. and stuff. So I think learning from a guy like Philip will be really beneficial for Jacoby. Yeah. And then I mean for Jacob, Jacoby, yeah. Jacob and Jacoby. That'll yeah. get a little confusing. Yeah. But um, 
So we like that pick, Jake. I'll I'll go to our resident Jet fan and Jake Belmont as the uh, as the expert on this one. What do you think about James Morgan going uh, to the Jets in the fourth round? Well, maybe I'm a little biased here, but I hated it. I mean, I love picking a quarterback, but I've been a huge Jake Fromm guy. I loved him at Georgia. I think he's a great guy in the locker room, whether he could play or not. So if you're going to pick a quarterback, I think Fromm was the obvious answer. I'm sure that higher-ups than me saw something in Morgan or saw something in Fromm that made them decide this way. But I think having a leader like that in the locker room, whether he's the backup quarterback, the starting quarterback, whatever he is, is good for the team, especially the team in New York. He seems like a guy who could handle the publicity. And I just don't know a lot about James Morgan, right? Mm-hmm. So I just have a lot of question marks. So maybe he will be great, but I just think as a backup quarterback, Fromm would have been the guy. And that's just why I don't like him, why I don't like the pick. So we're uh, just to give our, our, view, our listeners a little bit of a uh, – little bio on James Morgan. He was at Florida International University. Uh, he uh, was their starting quarterback for two years. Before that, he was the starter at Bowling Green, uh, which is in the MAC. So he transferred. In 2018, he had a, a better season last year. He was uh, His stats were uh, – he was near 2,600 yards, 14 TDs, and uh, five picks. And he also played under former Browns coach from the mid-2000s, I think, Butch Davis, who was raving about him. But, um, you know, from what I've read and what I've seen in limited times that I've seen him, I'm not really impressed. And I think they also should have went from here if they wanted a quarterback. He was fighting through he, – he's tough as nails. That's, that's what I, the sentiment that's been echoed by his coaches, the, the people who selected him, the scouts – is that, like, he, last year he played through that knee injury. He takes the big hits. He gets up. But while he takes the big hits and gets up, he also does that thing where he takes a lot of unnecessary hits. Yeah. He's, he's not polished, you know. He, he has a big arm, but one of the uh, scouting reports I was reading, I think, on NFL.com says he uh, throws about the fastest short routes. He throws yeah. the fastest um, short passes in terms of velocity that you've ever seen. Yeah. So he's really firing in there, but he's, he's got a bit of a wild arm. He doesn't have such a touch to him. Yeah, he has very little touch is what they're saying. So obviously we're not necessarily the biggest experts on this guy, but I think from what we've both seen is that he, yeah. besides being a tough guy and having a big arm, there hasn't been a lot to say about well, him. He just seems like a guy, like a lot of fourth-round picks, where he's going to end up being the backup there for a couple of years, and he'll go be a backup somewhere else, and then he'll kind of burn out. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't have a name to him. He doesn't didn't do anything special in college. And unless he shows something special, it doesn't seem like he's going to be much. And to waste a fourth-round pick on a guy who you doesn't have much upside to, I just don't love the move there. And, I mean, him and Fromm are honestly probably similar prospects in what they're good at and what they're not good at. But at least with Fromm, you know, he has that big game ability. He probably – when James Morgan, you're playing at Florida International Stadium where you're probably not getting that many fans, at least if Fromm has to come in on a Monday night against the Patriots when Stan Darnold gets injured, he's been for the national championship. He has a little bit of big game experience. Exactly. And you'd have to think that a guy who even had his struggles at smaller schools – I mean, although you don't know what his team was around him, yeah. it, it's just a questionable pick. I just think a guy like Fromm showed such signs of greatness. To If you're picking a quarterback in the fourth round and you, a guy like that's on the table who showed such signs of greatness, who two years ago was the number one pick in this draft, 
And to be able to get him that late and you're picking a quarterback, I just don't understand. And I thought the Jets really had a great draft other than this pick. So I just don't yeah. understand. I agree that this is a bit of a peculiar pick. But now on to your boy Jake from round five, pick 167 to the Buffalo Bills. And, dude, this is this – is, I mean, what a fall from grace. This guy was the golden boy a couple – just yeah. a few years ago looking like the number one pick. Even this summer – Prior to this season, he was looking like the guy who was going to be the uh, in at least a first round talent and yeah. bolster himself with a strong season. And then he really had a just not it was not his year this year. And this kind of was he had a lackluster year, year in the year. in the top SEC. He didn't have the weapons he had in the past. I don't know if he ever really deserved to be the number one pick like he was projected. But I think that he's definitely a really really talented guy and. I just love his personality. I love everything about him, and I think Buffalo's a great fit. Unfortunately, as a Jets fan, him being the same division I don't love, but he's going to be the backup for an injury-prone quarterback, so I think he's going to get his chance. I think Josh Allen takes a lot of hits, so I really hope Josh Allen stays healthy as I love him too, but I think that we might be seeing Jake Fromm in the next couple of years if he stays the backup there, and he will get his chance to shine. And, I mean, I'd argue that uh, this was – purely in my opinion a pick based off of best available the um the best player available versus the uh the fit the team yeah. fit and i think fifth round is the safe thing to do that but yeah. where the issue for me that he went to buffalo is that him and josh allen are about as opposite as opposites get josh allen's that mobile guy who's going to run around he's going to chuck balls 50 yards deep he has probably one of the strongest arms in the nfl compared to Fromm, who works more in the pocket he likes the intermediate routes. So the issue there is when, when or hopefully if Josh Allen gets um, injured, if Josh Allen gets injured, which obviously we hope doesn't happen, but by his play style, it is likely that he'll miss yeah. a few games over his career like he already has, you're going to have to change the whole offense. But their offense isn't designed – for Josh Allen to run around. Obviously, they like him running around. They like him being mobile, mo- mobile. But I don't think that they have to change so much up as they have plays for the intermediate routes. And if he's going to be your backup quarterback, you have plays for him. And I think yeah. he's a leader. He's an adaptable guy. He'll be able to play where he needs to play, do what he needs to do to win games like he did at Georgia. Yeah, I definitely think that he'll be a good backup. They were talking about uh, in one of the articles that I was reading – about how he'll probably be used in game prep for the starter, like a veteran. Like RG3. Yeah. Like he'll be used as a more like wise guy because he has seen a lot, obviously playing the SEC. He's seen the closest thing to pro defenses and he really has that maturity, but. And they I run think, a pro offense. They yeah. at Georgia. They run a very similar offense to the pros. Yeah. But I just think at the end of the day, what killed uh, Jake Fromm was his calling card was kind of that accuracy that you, you really liked about him. And then once that kind of slipped towards the end of the season, it was a huge red flag. You see a guy run a five second 40. He's, he's, he's not the thing for me that I think also is personally why I wouldn't have loved to draft him. I mean, at this pick, I would have been fine with it, but any earlier is that you have a guy who's slow. Okay. But he also doesn't have the premier size and he also doesn't have a huge arm. So I just think there are a lot of things working against Jake Fromm yeah. that will prevent him from really yeah. being well, yeah. a really he has, he has a ceiling to him. I agree with you there. But 
I think he could get the job done. I really like the fit for him in New England. We'll talk about New England later, but I like the fit for him there, yeah. similar to what Tom Brady could do. If you put him in the right situation, then I think he can be really successful. Like, I don't think he's going to be able to transform a team like Mahomes did, but you give him a good defense, you give him some good weapons, he could get you to where you need to be. Mm-hmm. But before we move on, I just want to ask, do we think that Jake Fromm could have, should have stayed another year at Georgia? Uh, yes, I think that he probably should have stayed another year. This was a deep quarterback class. They had a lot of good guys. I think there ended up six guys going in front of him. I mm-hmm. think that he would have been the best quarterback in the SEC this year. I think he would have benefited his stock a lot if he stayed. And I think if he, if someone told him you're going to go in the fifth round, he would have stayed another year. So it is unfortunate what happened to him. And that's what all these athletes, these NCAA guys have the, uh, when they're leaving early in any sport is, you know, you think that you're, you, you obviously believe in yourself that you're better than all these guys and you think you should be drafted high. And some of the indications say you'll be drafted high. But anything can happen on draft night, and that's where it really becomes a tough decision. Yeah. Well, I think that's what what the college football needs to do, what college basketball did, and let the guys kind of test the waters of the draft. And if it's Mm -hmm. not looking great for them, they could come back. I think that that's probably what would have happened with Jake Fromm. And I think that it'll help college football because a lot of guys will say, maybe this isn't for me yet. Maybe I need another year. And then you can end up getting a lot more talent. And I think that that's in the cards for the future for college football. Yeah, that would definitely be something that I'd be in favor of. So um, we talked draft a bunch, but um, now we're going to get into a specific team at the draft. And man, oh man, oh man, how about them Cowboys, Jake? I loved it. I'm just so happy. I mean, I'm so happy for them. I can't say I'm a big Cowboys guy, not a big Jerry Jones guy, but man, did he do a good job. I know he was in the news for saying he doesn't want his scouts to text him which I thought was a little bit of an arrogant move. But, man, he seems like he did his job. C.D. Lamb fell into his lap at 17, and they got Diggs from Alabama, who's a great corner, who's really going to instantly boost that secondary that lost Byron Jones. And then Tyler Baez-Dez, I can't pronounce it. In yeah, tough way to pronounce, but a really yeah. solid player. He was I thought he was a late first-round, early second-round guy before the whole draft process from Wisconsin. They lost Travis Frederick. I think he's a plug-and-play guy. He's going to probably come in there and be the starting center. And they got that in the fourth round. Just clap it up. Clap it up. If, if we're doing draft grades, I think an A, A-plus for them. I think that they're definitely a contender in the NFC now. I mean, we'll get into Dalton later, but I thought that was another great signing. They paid Amari Cooper a great offseason for Dallas, and I think that they're right up there with the contenders in the NFC. And I think the common theme of this draft for Dallas was that they kept on getting guys who should have been taken higher. Yeah. You get CeeDee Lamb at 17. I didn't see one mock draft that had him going that low. Yeah. And now for that offense, oh, my God. You, yeah. Your top three right. are Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and CeeDee Lamb. Mm-hmm. And then also factor in that you have arguably – a top three, top two, maybe even top one running back in the league. Dak Prescott has weapons at his yeah. disposal. He's another guy who's probably beaming with happiness after If he this. can't perform now with this team, he can yeah. never perform. This is going to be his prove-it year, and you can't ask for better weapons in a prove-it year than he's going to get. And then Diggs, obviously the brother of Stefan Diggs, he probably got a lot of practice on yeah. guarding yeah. 
guarding elite wide receivers when you him and Stefan were playing in the backyard. But, you know, that's another guy. Alabama, I look yeah. – personally, I think when you draft a DB from Alabama, not much can go wrong. We love the that's SEC. Pedigree. We love the SEC on Charlie and Jake's hot takes. And specifically, I really like Trayvon Diggs. Yeah. So, obviously, they lost Byron Jones in the offseason. So, you needed to uh, supplant that. And I think taking Trayvon Diggs and going with what you had in-house was better than paying Byron Jones. Even though I like Byron Jones, I think he got overpaid a little bit. So, yeah. I think that was a very good move by the Cowboys. And also, you look at the Cowboys' situation at defensive back. They have those two guys, uh, Awuzie and Lewis, who are both near yeah. the end of their rookie deals. So even though it might look like they're pretty deep at uh, DB for this year, in the future they really are going to have some needs pop up, and getting a guy like Trayvon Diggs is going to be awesome. The only thing I didn't like about the Diggs pick was that it was to Dallas and that we don't get to see Stephon Diggs versus brother now for a few years because they yeah. played this year. So we won't get to, unless cool. someone changes teams, we won't get to see Diggs on Diggs until three more years. Yeah, that was bad talking in the schedule. Definitely. Yeah. But um, he's really – he's a splash play guy. He had three picks, two fumbles, getting a 100-yard fumble return this year. He's big. He has that premier size. I don't understand how he fell this low. I, I don't know. I like him as much yeah. as I like A lot of guys, they didn't, they didn't really want to pick in the secondary in the first round. It seemed like Xavier McKinney went to the Giants. Um, slip in my mind. Grant Delpit went to the Browns. And Diggs went to the Cowboys all in the second round. And those were all first-round talents that fell. So, I don't understand what was going on. But those three teams got really lucky with those SEC guys. And then we talked about the fourth-round pick, Biadaz. But the third-round pick that they got, uh, Gallimore, who's uh, obviously near the home when he went to Oklahoma, He, uh, we don't really hear that much about Oklahoma defensive players all that often. Yeah. But, um, you know, this guy, he's, he's definitely a project, but they took him in the third round. There's not a huge risk. And if he can really, like, what from what I've read from scouts is that if he can get some of his leverage stuff together, get, get more technical, he can really be a guy who can get into the backfield as a, yeah. as a as defensive tackle, pressure the quarterback. He's got that high motor. He's from Canada, Ottawa, you know. We don't yeah. see that too often, so it's yeah. an interesting fit there. So you really well, I think the one thing you said about Oklahoma's defense, though, and I know that they've been bad in years past, but they were definitely better this year, and he was a big mm-hmm. reason for that in it's, the middle on that D-line helping everything. So I yeah. think that that is big, and I think that it's another great fit, another great job by Jerry Jones. All right, so now's the moment of truth. I think we're going to have some, uh, some uh, agreement in this one, but let me hear your letter grade for the Dallas Cowboys twenty seven. 2017, I'm um, in the past, 2020 draft. A, I mean, you, I don't know if you could give a team an A-plus when they didn't get – like, I think it's hard for a team picking 17 to get an A-plus. So, I'll give them an A. Really just did a great job for what they had. Yeah, I was also debating the A-plus. But, you know, I was like, I don't know if I – you can't say everything was perfect. I'll give them a 95 instead of a 100, but that's an A. And, man, if you're – I think the Eagles are shaking in their boots right now. Yeah. Cowboys had such a good draft, such a good offseason. And um, hold up, they are them boys, I think. Yeah, I think it's, it's their division to lose. I expect to see them playing late into January. And if a couple of things go their, right, go their way, maybe we'll see them in February. So um, we're back playing one of our favorite games, and that's the over-under game. 
a couple of weeks ago, Caesars released their uh, win totals for the season. There, uh, and we debated the Packers the last time we did this. Now we're moving to the AFC and another team with a another franchise with huge pedigree facing uh, un facing crazy times. Is the Patriots will go into next season obviously without the goat Tom Brady. And uh, Caesars has them at eight and a half wins. And Jake, can I tell you something? I think this is high, man. I don't know. I don't know. Well, from what we're here, and I hear we've talked about this every week, we always hear about how much we love, they love Jared Stidham. They think he's the guy. They didn't draft a quarterback. A quarterback agent today said that he, his guy wanted to, his unanimous guy wanted to go there. And Belichick said, sorry, we have our guy. We love Stidham. So, and that defense, I like them over eight and a half. I think it's their division. I know Buffalo did some good things. The Jets did some good things. Miami did some good things. But I think that they were 12 and four last year and they played a tough schedule. So I think that if you bring in Stidham, I think he's going to be very similar to what you got from the 40 year old Tom Brady. And I know that defense lost a couple of guys, but it still has its core the same. So I really like them. I think they're going to get to 10 wins over eight and a half. All right, so it's time for uh for our first for a for a big disagreement here because I mean listen, betting against Bill Belichick is never a good idea, and I could look back at this in a couple of months and really cringe, but for now I'm sticking with the fact that this just isn't really a good team. Like I, I was going through position by position. Not a great team, I'm sorry. I think they're a very decent team that where a lot of things can go wrong. First of all, the quarterback situation. Yeah. We don't know. That's a question. That's Maybe a question. Belichick sees something in Jarrett Stidham. I haven't seen it. He wasn't yeah. even that good in college. I really don't think he's anything special. Maybe he'll end up being like a solid placeholder, which is in the realm of possibility. The other option is Brian Hoyer, but he's well past his days as a well, confident well, starter. I don't think we should go ahead and disrespect Jared Stidham as a placeholder, though. I've heard maybe, he's maybe, the guy. maybe he maybe he's their yeah. guy. Maybe he. I, is. I just don't. I've lie. heard there's been varying reports. Some saying they would love Trevor Lawrence to get him in the early first round next year, but as of now, the overwhelming reports say that Belichick and the boys like Stidham to be their guy for the future. I mean, yeah, I think that they're going to let him play it out this year, and that's he's going to get the audition, and all you can ask for is the time, what he does with it. I don't think he's going to be great, but maybe he can prove me wrong. Hopefully he does. But I, I'm not I'm, – I haven't seen enough of him to be confident in the quarterback situation. Yeah, I agree. I, agree I mean, they that. could sign another guy, but Andy Dalton came off the market. I thought that was their guy. I, yeah. still don't think, I still don't think Cam Newton and Bill Belichick would mesh. I don't think Belichick yeah. wants to deal, and I think they're going to yeah. roll with Stidham as their starter. Well, so, go ahead, Jake. Well, I think that before you keep before you get into what you get into, I agree with you, and I don't trust Jared Stidham. I mean, I trust Bill Belichick, so there's a little bit of trust I have there. But mm-hmm. I trust Julian Edelman. I trust that offensive line. I trust Sony Michelle, and I trust James White, and I certainly trust. I think the best defense in the league, and I think if you could, if this guy's half of what Belichick thinks he is, I think he could get them in, to win that weak division. Yeah, but. I mean, we talk about the weapons and their names. They're definitely names. But these guys have been – besides, the, the running backs are good. The uh, running backs I, I are can, good. The running backs, is that's one of the best units in the league. You know, you have Sony Michelle, who wasn't great last year. He had a solid year. You know, yeah. he's averaging around 3, 3.7 a, a carry. 
a little under a thousand yards, and you have James White as that guy out of the backfield, yeah. and his role is going to be so important next year because yeah, he'll, you know the young quarterbacks get flustered more. Stidham will want that safety yeah. valve, so White will be very important. Then you have Burkhead also, who's really talented, mm-hmm. but then the wide receiver situation. I mean, you have Julian Edelman who keeps on doing it over 100 uh, around 100 catches last year, over a thousand yeah. yards. He continues to to be just such a good player, and I, I like Julian Edelman a lot. But they are kind of in a similar situation with the Packers to me where – and unless I kind of trust the guys who the Packers have as their second receivers, I really just don't know what I'm getting from – who's the next guy? I mean, you know, we had Philip Forsett, Jacoby Myers, and Mohamed Sanu who all were a little bit under 30 catches. Neil Harry. Neil Harry, they have high hopes for the hope that he could have a bounce-back season after last year. Yeah, he definitely has the opportunity, but I still think he's going to have trouble. The issue for me is he now becomes threat number two, and that's a hard place to develop. I agree with you, and I think that the passing game is probably going to be one of the worst in the league unless Stidham turns into something that none of us expect. I think there is a lot of question marks there. But I think that the running game is going to be really good. I think they're going to be able to grind it past. I don't, I don't know, man. Because if you, don't, if you have that little trust in them, if you, if you're, they're going to be daring the Patriots to pass. Teams are going to want New England to pass. They're going to be stacking the box, and they're going to make life hard for the running backs, and they're going to make Jarrett Stidham and Julian Edelman and the rest of those outside weapons try and beat them. So I don't think the running game is going to be what you think. But here's where I trust – I just trust Bill Belichick. The guy has proved it time and time again. He earned all of our trust. And I know that this might seem controversial, but on their first pick, they picked a defensive back from the Division II school. We're not going to talk about the defense right now. But that just shows that he's confident in what he has on offense. And if he's confident in what he has and thinks that he can get the job done, unless he's trying to tank for Trevor Lawrence, which I don't think he's the type of competitor to do, he likes what he has. He sees something that we don't in that long list of wide receivers who have to prove themselves. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Trust me. It's hard to get in bed against Belichick. But I think that this team, so we, like I'm saying, the, the, the weapons on the outside are tough. You don't really have a tight end. They drafted two guys. But third-round tight ends, it'll probably take them a year yeah. before they're really consistent, um, yeah. consistent contributors. So – they lost James Dellen, who's a good blocker, but another reason why I don't think the run game will be as good. But we're, we're both in agreement that this offense isn't going to be great. Yeah, It was seventh last year in scoring. I think they'll be more towards the bottom. But I know you think they can weather that with their defense. And to a, yeah. to a level, I think they will. And when I'm putting them under eight and a half, I think this will be a seven to nine win team. But I'm thinking a little bit under. I don't think they're going to be four and 12, like Bleacher Report said today. I think they're going to be – I think – their team honestly reminds me a lot of last year's Steelers. I see that. I see what you're saying. Very opportunistic and an offense that's really going to struggle with competence. I like that you said that. I think they are almost identical to last year's Steelers. But the one big difference is they don't have Lamar Jackson in their division. They don't even really have a team like the Cleveland Browns in their division. They have such an easy division, and I think that one of the reasons for their greatness over the last 20 years has been this division. They almost get an easy four or five, maybe six wins every year, and I still think with this defense, they're going to be able to get the job done. And the, here's where, why I trust them, and this is what it boils down to. They were 12-4 and four last year. They 
they lost to good teams except that Week 17 game against Miami. And the really only big difference is they lost Tom Brady for Jared Stidham and an old Tom Brady. So how much worse are they getting a quarterback? Do you think they're going to get five games worse just by changing their quarterback? But I don't think the only thing they lost was their quarterback. There are a lot of places around where they did lose guys. They lost Van Noy, which worries they me. Lost Van, they lost their two top um, sack, sack guys in Van Noy and Collins. Collins had a great year at the middle linebacker spot, and I, and I really think that that's a huge position in general for of teams. Course. I think that's, one of the, that's the biggest position on defense. So I think that's yeah. gonna, they're going to miss that a lot. And, you know, their defensive backs last year, you're, you're not putting up – you know how defense is a really hard thing to predict. And especially turnovers. And this team was forcing turnovers like it was nobody's business last year. And now I don't think their three defensive backs are going to combine for 16 interceptions, which is what uh, J.C. Jackson, Devin McCourty, and um, Stephen Gilmore did. That's not going to happen again. So I think but- – but what is going to happen again is the opposing team's number one wide receiver is going to be shut down. No, yeah. But such a big part of that team was turnovers. And expecting them to get that many turnovers and play that dominant uh, dose of defense is, I think, unrealistic. I agree with you. I agree with you. But I just think that they're good enough in a weak division to win more than eight and a half games. But before we move on, I do want to address that because I don't think this is – I think this is maybe not this year. I might be a year early. But the AFC East has some teams that really have some have some potential. I mean, obviously – Potential, I agree with you. We, we both love very, Buffalo. Very but this year, I don't – like, for – they caught a lot of teams. Like, for example, their defense. They beefed up their defensive stats a lot with games against the Dolphins in week two when that team was yeah. really in sputter. Or the Jets and Luke Falk. I know they had a tough schedule, but they also caught a lot of breaks in terms of when they played teams, and I don't think you get that lucky this year. That is true. I agree with you. I, but I just – I trust the defense. I trust Bill Belichick. And I think that the division, even Buffalo, is a year away. That's just what I think. I think Buffalo did beef up and, look, they do look much better now they got digs. But I still don't think that Buffalo is a dominant team. I think the Jets are a year away. I really like what Miami did on defense, but I still think they're a year away on offense. So I just think that New England's defense is ready, and I think New England's downfall will come, and I think that this year they'll probably get to 10-6, win that division. And then next year I think that they're in for a long sputter downhill after all those years of greatness. But I think they have one more year in the playoffs dominating. Yeah, that's where it is. Will it be one more year or will it be the end end of the dynasty? And we're just going to have to wait and find out. Um, just to talk about some other news around the league, Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton have both finally come finally. on the market. Well, we're, still so, waiting uh, on my, we're still waiting on my guy, Cam Newton, but Winston and Dalton have found homes. Yeah, so Cam still remains a free agent, but Jameis Winston is going to New Orleans. He got a one-year, one, one million-dollar deal with a little bit of incentives that could bump it up to around three million, but really didn't get much money. And <laughs> I, I, I have this down in my notes. This is probably the most interesting quarterback room in football. Yeah, you, have, yeah. you have two guys who have led the league in passing yards, and then you have the ultimate utility tool in Taysom Hill. Well, I just, 
I like Jameis Winston, and I think that there's a lot of red flags. But I kind of hope that I like him. I know he's had his character flaws, but I think that he could be the successor in New Orleans, and I think that's what he thinks too. He took this lackluster deal, way, way, way less than he's worth, to kind of hope that he could show that he could be the guy to Sean Payton and learn from the great Drew Brees. And I think Brees is nearing the end. If it's not this year, then next year. And he can hope to be the success, successor and take over that team with a lot of young weapons. Yeah, and it's interesting also because we hear about the successor talk that it might be Jameis, it might be Taysom. They signed Taysom Hill to that pretty lucrative extension also. Yeah. Which, which is weird, to me, but I guess they like him. They like him a lot as for what he does. But for Jameis, I mean, last year, obviously, he led the league in uh, yards. He was second in touchdowns, but he was also first in interceptions by a wide margin, 30 picks. He had a lot of issues last year, along with a good amount of success. I mean, there yeah. some, sometimes you watched him, and he was really playing great. Ball. But when you throw 30 picks, you're just yeah. not, you're not doing your job you got to hold on to the football. But around the league, they've been saying that they think Jameis had better offers on the table. So taking this for a guy who there have been red flags about his maturity, even since his days of yeah. had some issues there. So it's for me, it's it's good to know that he kind of took a forward yeah. approach here. And yeah, said, he made it very okay, I can either be the guy here. The worst thing that happens is they move on from me, and I have now a knowledge of – I've been picking the brains of two offensive geniuses, yeah. in Drew Brees and Sean Payton. So, I mean, while there may be other opportunities where Jameis could have been in a better position to start, even though there really aren't that many, I think this is a really good idea for him to sign yeah. here. I agree, and, and I think he's hoping he could be the quarterback of the future. I know Taysom Hill wants to be the quarterback of the future. So I just think that time will tell what will happen, but I think it was a mature decision to him. He took a nice – he took a pay cut of what he probably would have got. But hopefully it pans out for him, and we'll see what happens. Hopefully that LASIK eye surgery. He said he said he can see the uh, the the um the, the license place on the car. So yeah. maybe the possibilities are maybe that was his issue. Maybe that was. But um, so Andy Dalton just to uh finish the backup quarterback news. Andy Dalton will join the Cowboys on a one-year, three million dollar deal. And again, like. The Cowboys just keep on doing things that I really have no issue with. I mean, I, I love this, it. I love it's it. such a good insurance policy. And not only an insurance policy. I know you love Dak. I'm not so sold on Dak. I love I Dak. I like Dak. Don't put words. You on. like Dak. You like Dak. I think that this could be similar to the Marcus Mariota Ryan Daniel situation, where it's a really talented roster with a question mark at the quarterback. I think Dak is better than Marcus Mariota. But I also think Andy Dalton's better than Ryan Tannehill. So I think if Dak starts to struggle, you put him on a short leash and you try and win that game, win games with Andy Dalton, which you can certainly do. You got him for a bargain. And I like Andy Dalton a lot. I don't think he was a problem in Cincinnati last year. So I like this move. I don't think – I think that it's a, you're, you might be off a little bit on it being a Ryan Tannehill situation. I think maybe Andy Dalton considers it that. But I don't think Jerry Jones and the rest of the Cowboys front office considers it that. I think they're pretty confident in what they have in Dak as just a regular starter. Obviously, they don't know if they want to pay him. But I don't think his job is in any danger. When they signed Ryan Tannehill, you knew that um, Marcus Mariota 
job was really in danger. I don't get the same sense from this deal. I don't think his job's in danger now, but if they start two and four, three and five, and we you have so much it. talent on that roster, do you really want to waste a year? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's certainly one of those things where it could end up playing out like that. But in reality, I think it's just it's just a really good backup to have. You know, you have a guy with who's played – he's won a lot of games throughout his career. He obviously hasn't won playoff games, but he's gone to the playoffs plenty of times. He's, he's a good, experienced guy. He'll probably help Dak a lot if he doesn't take his job just with a lot of the things about – Well, he seems like a guy who knows position. his role. He doesn't seem like a guy who's going to come in there and try and be gunning. Yeah, he's a good dude. I mean, his teammates in Cincinnati, I don't know if you heard that story about uh, how Auden yeah. Tate got hurt yeah. and uh, Andy Dalton gave up the first-class seat to the rookie receiver, which was just a great story about class his act. teammate and how much yeah. of a class act Andy Dalton was. But, you know, Dak Prescott, he has the contract issues. If he really wanted to hold out, which I doubt he does, you now have Andy Dalton. Yeah, which is another big thing. And in any case of an injury, you really think you're in a good position. But back to what you were saying about the holdout possibility. Yeah, well, I think that that's – I don't know about this year, but who knows what's going to happen. These guys get so crazy about their money and holding out. We've seen it. And now when you have such a talented team, you have a guy you could put in there and win games for you. So I think it's great. I think it shifts the power back to the Cowboys. So if Dak wants to say, okay, I'm going to hold out, then okay, fine, see you later. Like We have a guy who can really do some good stuff for us. And he's not too old yet. If they want to sign him as their guy for the future on a cheaper deal, I know this is talking crazy, but he still has definitely some good years left. So I think we're both in agreement that Andy Dalton is a very competent backup and maybe one day a starter in Dallas. But um, that'll do it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening in. I know we had a great time, and we'll uh, see you guys again next week.